I'll be reading from John 4:24. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Oh, it's a, a wonderful here to worship with God's people. And I um, know there's a lot of us are traveling. We have a lot of guests here. If you're a guest here today, you're welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here. And uh, I know that for myself, I've been here about a year and a half and have learned a lot from this crew of people and have been changed by them and their example and continue to be. And uh, I pray that that's, uh, that's your experience today. And if you live in this area, you're, you're welcome to stay. Always got a family here with us. In the last uh, year and a half, I uh, spent the first uh, uh, almost year that I was here talking about the, the Gospel of Mark. Just going back to the story of Jesus and, and what are we doing here again and, and walking through some of that. Then we spent some time talking about uh, how we become part of God's kingdom, uh, the covenant that God's given us that we approach Him in faith, repentance, and baptism, and God responds forgiving our sins by giving us the Holy Spirit and promising us eternal life. And, and starting, we start this eternal life now, and we live that way. And we talked about the community of the Holy Spirit and what, what we are supposed to be as being people that are transformed by the Holy Spirit of God to look different, to be different than the world around us. And it changes us in everything we do. And so we're going to take a little bit of time and, and tie up some loose ends uh, until uh, this fall, we'll, uh, when we, we stop traveling and, and, uh, and we aren't going back and forth so much, we'll get into another series and we'll go from there. But what, is gonna, what I'm going to share this morning is a bit of my own journey uh, through a particular discussion. And uh, the reason I'm, I'm going to talk about this today is over the last year or so, this question has come up with me several times. And I think I, about a year ago I said, okay, just give me a few months and we'll tackle it. So about a year later, we're finally getting around to, to the discussion here. But I want to start with here, this verse, John 4:24. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit, in the spirit and in truth. And I grew up in a Christian family. I had parents that wanted to honor God uh, in a way that was... Uh, throughout their life, every day, everything that they did. And so I have been still trying to, throughout my life, figure out how, how do I apply this? How do I worship in spirit and truth and what all of this is about? And this is a discussion that is immense. There's a whole lot to it. But one of the questions that we as the Church of Christ sets us apart, when you look at our religious landscape and the world that we live in, there's some things that we do different than, than other groups. And one of them is, the question I get is phrased like this a lot of times. Why don't you guys believe in music? You know, you ever get that phrase? I get that, that question that comes up sometimes. And really what, what people are saying, and it's a good question, because we are different and we stand out being different. Why don't you use instruments in your assemblies? And the question comes from, is, as anybody that, that doesn't know some of the history, is why is every other church that I've ever been to participates, has a piano, has an organ, has something, and, and you guys don't have anything. And I've, I've been asked, can you not afford it? What's going on here? Why is that so different? And so what I'm going to do is, is walk you through my journey, because I remember one point in time along the way, I started asking a lot of questions. Now, why do we do this again, and what is all this about? And, and I had to walk through a whole lot of this on my own, through a lot of reading and a lot of, of soul-searching myself, to, to come down to, to try to, to understand uh, why we've made some of the decisions we have 
as far as our singing and our worship assembly. And so I'm going to walk you through that, uh, through my journey. There was, uh, I noticed early on that when you look in the Old Testament, there's a whole lot of scriptures like this. Let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 147. Go ahead and turn there. Psalm 147, verse 7. And here it says, Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. And you see those type of phrases over and over and over again through the Old Testament. And you, you see that as, as a theme that, that runs throughout the Psalms. Now, going back into the Old Testament, I'm going to give a, a very brief summary here of how some of this works. Is when the temple was built there was a whole lot of discussion given to the choir and, and the people who were going to be playing the harps and the different types of things that, are, that were there in the temple. But the way the Jews understood that, in a majority by the time that Jesus came around, is that they would worship God like that at the temple, but when they were at the tabernacle, usually that, or excuse me, when they were at the synagogues, usually that was not the case. And most of the synagogues, if there was singing even present, they sang with just them sitting around without anything else there. The temple was, if we can say it this way, a special occasion that the Jews would go and, and uh, worship there. But this is what we see, this phrase, over and over again, make music on the harp or something like that. When we get to, New, excuse me, when we get to the New Testament, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. We see a phrase that's really similar. Ephesians chapter 5, go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. And Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one of the, the scriptures that talks about singing. Let's go to Colossians and we'll read the other one. And these scriptures are talk about singing in... in um, as, as Christians, are supposed to be people of song, for sure. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so you see this phrase here that is make music from your heart or sing with gratitude in your heart. And that's what you see here in, the, uh, the, the, in Paul's writings and you see this type of, of discussion other places as well. And so the question that I had to wrestle with okay, is, okay, is, is this, I, I've got two choices here really. I've got to figure out if that is, that difference in phrasing the incidental, if that is just what Paul wrote and never intended to be anything different or anything, uh, any type of different judgment call, or if, he, if there was a specific reason or purpose that he said specifically worship God and sing with the heart and specifically didn't mention anything else. And so what I did is I went back and I, I started digging through church history and I had people that helped me through this process. And I started seeing what, what did people, what have people... How have people through time interpreted this? How, what side have they fallen on? How have they understood this discussion? And so I went back, and I'm going to read some of these for you here. If it's too small to see up front, in fact, some of them are too small. I might have to look towards the, towards the front here to read it. 
But I'm just going to read some of what the early Christian writers talked about a particular issue. Okay, These are people that were leading churches at that point in time, uh, people of faith. First one we'll look at is a guy named Augustine. He was in, in North Africa. But he goes on to describe some of the singing in uh, one of the churches that he was a part of. And he says, Musical instruments used. The pipe, tabret, and the harp here associate so intimately with the sensual heathen, as well as with the wild revelries and of the degenerate theater and circus. It is easy to understand the prejudices against their use in worship. Okay, that's just what he says. Okay, what I'm trying to do is, is just be faithful with history here and show you what, what's said. And so this is what, what Augustine wrote on the subject. Clement of Alexandria, and remember this name because we're going to read him again here in just a minute. But what he does is he goes through and he shares, uh, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll skip over this one just because of time, but he shares that basically there is... You see that David worshipped in, in a way, and, and he had the, the harp and, and that, but God has made us his instruments, that we worship with who we are, with our voices, is in essence what he says. Cyprian is another one. He says, instruments were permitted in the Old Testament for the sake of their, the people's weakness, to stir up their minds to perform their external worship. That's what Cyprian has to say, another church leader in the early church. Eusebius, he says, of old at the time, those of the circumcision, or those who are Jews, were worshiping with symbols and types that it was not inappropriate to send up hymns to God with the Psalterian and the Chithara and to do this on Sabbath days. We render our hymn with a living Psalterian and a living Chithara and with spiritual songs. The unison voices of Christians would be more acceptable to God than any musical instrument. According to all the churches of God, united in soul and attitude, with one mind and in agreement of faith and piety, we send up a unison melody in the words of the Psalms. Hey, Eusebius. Another church leader is what he says in his commentary on, on Psalm 91 as he's responding to, to some of these discussions uh, in, in the Psalms. Justin Martyr, uh, another church leader from uh, uh, 139 A.D., early 2nd century, he says, The use of music was not received in the Christian churches as it was among the Jew in their infant, infant state, but only the use of plain song. Uh, Clement of Alexandria. Now, we're, we're going to read this. I'm going to take a time out here for just a second. But what you see, and I'm just giving you just a little bit of, of the things that I ended up finding. But what you see over and over again in the, in the early church is church leaders saying, we do not use instruments in worship. And give an, I'll give you the reasons why here in just a minute. We're going to take a time out. And to be faithful with, with what's out there in history, this is the exception. This is the one exception that I know of in the early church, of someone speaking in, in a way that is different. And this is Clement of Alexandria again. And there's a, a quote that we looked up here just a minute ago that said, we, become, we are God's instruments, and, and we don't use those anymore. And this is what he says, This is our grateful reverie, that if you should wish to sing and play to the Chathara and the lyre, this is not blameworthy. You would imitate the just Hebrew king, giving thanks to God. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise the benefits of the upright says the prophecy. And this phrase comes, or this quote right here, comes from uh, when Clement of Alexandria, he is writing about the, the title of places there. He says, about feasts. And so it seems that what Clement is talking about, because he's very vocal in other places about what our worship assembly should look like, what he does is it seems what he's saying here. He's saying, 
If you have a festival, you have other things that are going on that is not, and he makes a distinction between the worship, the assemblies that we come together for, and the other times. He says, if someone's playing something, then great. That seems to be what his indicators are. And so for it's the, sometimes I've heard at times people say it's inconsistent if you say you shouldn't use like a piano or whatever when you sing in worship, but then you listen to Christian music on the radio. From the early times, that was not seen as inconsistent. It doesn't seem that's the case. At least that's what history bears out. Is that the early Christians, at least according to Alexandria, if there was other situations outside of the context of us worshiping together in assembly, they would not take issue with, with people using the gifts that they have in order to honor God. I know that there's, I've had some very good friends that are part of the Churches of Christ that, that use the, the gifts that they have to, to, to write songs that are positive, that are, that are good, that call people higher outside of our, our worship context. Okay, that's just a time out there. And there's more that we can talk about and you can ask, but there's, we're not going to hit everything today. But I just, in, in the, in the um, effort to be faithful to history, this is there. Uh, this is, but that's the, the, really the only one that I'm aware of that's out there, this, this quote. And he seems to be speaking about anything that happens outside of the worship assembly. Okay, so what happens is, what you see over and over again, is the reasons the early church chose not to use instruments. When Jesus came, the church goes and acts. Why they decided to do that and is, is these three reasons here. And before I walk through these reasons, it's, it's interesting to note, and it's important to note, is the term a cappella, it means according to the chapel. And so that is a Latin term that came up as people would refer to, oh, they sing, they're not singing with instruments, so they're singing like they do in the church, because that was the, the normal. That was how things were for, for about a thousand years after Jesus came. And we'll get to that here in a minute. But the reasons that are given by the early church leaders is that, number one, it's, it's part of the Old Covenant. They, they looked at using those, those types of things in worship as the same thing as uh, having sacrifices of the blood of bulls and goats or having the candles or having the, the priests with the, the special robes and all that type of thing. And they resisted all that, and they said, our worship is different, and we've left those type of things behind. Or they said that uh, it's too tied to the immoral pagan assemblies. You see that. Is the, you look at the, what the pagan assemblies looked like, it was loud. It was uh, it was it was really uh, loud. I guess is a great way to say that. And and for the Christians, they they saw that as saying the early church saying we're going the opposite direction and we're pursuing God in spirit. And that's we want to look different than those those people there. And they also said um, it's too external to reflect the spiritual dynamic of the new covenant worship. It's just too different um, than. It, it's, it, it misses what, what we are all about as, as people of God who are worshiping in the Spirit, and we're missing all of that. Hey, what I'm showing you here, what I had to realize was not my opinion or anybody's opinion. Is that was just fact. That's how the early church viewed those scriptures, and uh, when Paul said we worship with the heart, and that that was that was pretty significant, and the early church chose that path. Okay, here is where the, some of the change happens. You get in the Middle Ages. There's some. There's all sorts of things that are happening. Uh, there is. Uh, there is the, the the state church in Europe had become so powerful that it, it was hard to tell the difference between where spirituality began and ended and the state began and ended. And there was a whole lot of corruption that happened there during that time period. 
But this is from a Catholic encyclopedia, an older Catholic encyclopedia before Vatican II, when, when some of the, the doctrine was, was changed and adapted. But this is what it says. For almost a thousand years, the Gregorian chant, without any instrumental or harmonic addition, was the only music used in connection with the liturgy. The organ in its primitive and rude form was the first, and for a long time the sole instrument used to accompany the chant. The church has never encouraged and at most only tolerated the use of instruments. She enjoins the ceremonials episcoporum. That permission for their use should first be obtained from the ordinary. She holds up as her ideal the unaccompanied chant, a polyphonic a cappella style. The Sistine Chapel has not even an organ. Okay, so that's from a Catholic dictionary talking about how some of that transition happened. Okay. Um, when we get into the, the ages of the Reformers around the 1500s in that time period, Martin Luther is an interesting guy. In fact, the spiritual descendants of Martin Luther are the Lutherans today. And he was one that he, he lived in southern Germany. And I've, I've been to Augsburg, and it's a pretty neat place to walk in some of that path where, where he lived. But Luther looked around at the world around him. He had several circumstances happen but that, that caused this. But he was a, a priest um, of the state church, and he, he said he saw all the corruption and started speaking about, out against it. And he was, uh, he was excommunicated. They kicked him out. But he had a whole lot to say about a whole lot of things. And Luther, to be fair, is, is not consistent in a whole lot of his, his, um, his thought process. He was just a bull. And he was strong, and he went straight forward no matter what. And Luther is quoted as saying, the organ is the, in the worship is the insignia of Baal. The Roman Catholics borrowed it from the Jews. Okay, now Luther is not politically correct. Okay, Luther excelled in a whole lot of things and, and being, um, uh, trying to say things in a, in a way that is uh, diplomatic was not, was not in Luther's quiver whatsoever. But he spent most of his life trying not to get burned at the stake, and he ran around, and so he just said what he wanted is, is how it worked. But there's other times that Luther says the opposite. And so, but just to be fair, this is, this is one of the, the quotes that Luther shared out there. John Calvin is another reformer during the 1500s, a tremendous man of faith. And what John Calvin did, uh, the, the spiritual descendants of him today are the Christian reformers out here. Of, of John Calvin and, and a whole lot of the teachings that he gave. And look at what he says here on Psalm 33 in his commentary. But when they frequent their sacred assemblies, musical instruments and celebrating the praises of God would be more, no more su- suitable than burning of incense, the lighting up of the lamps, and the restoration of other shadows of the law. The Papists, therefore, have foolishly borrowed this as well as many other things from the Jews, men who are fond of outward pomp, may delight in that noise, but the simplicity which God recommends to us by the apostle is far more pleasing to him. Paul allows us to bless God in the public assembly of the saints only in a known tongue. The voice of man, although not understood by the generality, assuredly excels all inanimate instruments of music, and yet we see where St. Paul determines concerning speaking in an unknown tongue. And so John Calvin and the 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 Christian Reformed churches for a long time were a cappella because that's what you do. That's what you do in the church. And, and he talks about this, and he shares his, his perspective is that Paul saying we worship with the heart is that was very specific, is, is that is that, that that's how we come to God. It's just us. Uh, John Wesley is another amazing guy, uh, 1700s. John Wesley uh, was, was a tremendous, tremendous man of faith. And he is, uh, the Methodists are the spiritual descendants of, of John Wesley. 
and his, uh, his efforts. The Methodists in the time period when they were planted looked a whole lot like, more like us than they do now. And that what happened is in England, the Industrial Revolution happens. There's, the people had lived on farms out at that, up to that point in time. Industrial Revolution happens. People start moving to the cities to find jobs and to work there. Changes the whole dynamic of the social world in, in England. And so people uh, found that the Anglican church had nothing to offer the common man. That's what their perspective was. As there was the, all the big stained glass buildings and you'd go in, you'd hear the message, you'd leave, and that was about the extent of it. And what John Wesley and his brothers did is they went out and they said, when we went and we preached in the cathedrals, nobody was there. And when we went out and we preached in the fields, there were thousands of people came. And people would come, people would come out of the factories or they would come at night. And John Wesley and his brothers would preach the word of God. And they started small group Bible studies in the factories during lunchtime or during break times. And they started people, uh, teaching people about God. And that expanded from there. And got people excited because he brought back the gospel to what it meant for the common person. And this is what John Wesley had to say. He said, I have no objection to instruments of music in our worship, provided they are neither seen nor heard. John Wesley had a sense of humor in a lot of the stuff that he said. Okay. We get to Alexander Campbell. Now, there is a lot of things that uh, this is shared uh, within the early history of the Church of Christ here in this country from the late 1700s to the early 1800s. There's a whole lot of discussion about it. This is the only quote that I'm showing you today from someone from the Church of Christ. Every other quote is from someone from other groups of people that have, been, um, that have sought to be faithful along the way. Alexander Campbell, he said, Instrumental music and worship was well adapted to churches founded on the Jewish pattern of things, practicing infant sprinkling. That old person singing who have no spiritual discernment, taste, or relish uh, for spiritual meditation, consolations, and sympathies of renewed hearts, should call for such an aid as but natural, so that those who have no real devotion and spirituality in them, and whose animal nature flags under the impression, uh, the oppression of the, the church uh, service, I think that instrumental music would be an essential prerequisite to fire up their souls, even to animal devotion. But I presume that to all spiritually-minded Christians, such aid would be as a cowbell in a concert. That's Alexander Campbell. That's his comments on the discussion. And that, that was common. That, that, was, that carried the day at that point in time. That was the discussion. Um, what, we don't, what I've realized that people don't know, and I sure didn't know this, but 200 years ago in this country, the Baptists were a cappella, the Presbyterians were a cappella, the Methodists were a cappella. There were a whole lot of other groups were a cappella, and that has all changed now. But that's what originally was the situation in our, in our country here. And there's stories like, uh, there was a story I read about once. It actually, actually came up in one of the classes I was in. In Boston, there was a, a Presbyterian church that was, uh, that was uh, very vibrant. I guess there was a lot of good things that were happening there at that point in time. And they, they kept trying the voting on whether they were going to buy an organ or not. And uh, fi- the vote kept going down saying, no, we're not going to buy an organ. We're going to sing a cappella, as, as in the chapel. And, and finally, the vote carried the day, and they, uh, they bought an organ from England. Well, there's no organ manufacturers in Boston at that point in time, or in the United States. So they ordered from England. One came over on a ship, and there was one of the members of the church that was wealthy, and he uh, was not on board with this at all. And so what he did is he hired some thugs that went out in a small boat, got on the ship, and threw the organ in Boston Harbor. There's a lot of things that are buried in Boston Harbor. 
And so that just gives you an idea of where groups were at 200 years ago in our country. That was what carried the day. That was the discussion. This is one more quote I'll give you from, from church leaders. Charles Spurgeon. How many of you know who he is? Okay. Charles Spurgeon, pretty amazing guy. He was a, a, a Baptist minister in London at the, uh, the London Tabernacle. Upwards of 20,000 people in the, the latter half of the 1800s would worship there on any given Sunday. And Charles Spurgeon, uh, this is what he had to say. David appears to have had a, a peculiarly tender remembrance of the singing of the pilgrims. And assuredly, it is the most delightful part of worship and that which comes nearest to the adoration of heaven. What a degradation to supplant the intelligent song of the whole congregation by the theatrical pettiness of a quartet, bellows, and pipes. We might as well pray by machinery as praise by it. Praise the Lord with the harp. Israel was at school and used childish things to help her learn. But in these days, when Jesus gives us spiritual food, one can make melody without strings and pipes. We do not need them. That would hinder rather than help our praise. Sing unto him. This is the sweetest and best music. No instrument is like the human voice. So here's, here's what the choice that I had to wrestle with. When I looked through church history and tried to figure out how do people interpret this, how do people view this, this discussion, if throughout church history, if I'm going to be honest with it, no matter what my preference is, if I'm going to be honest with it, what you see through church history is people that interpreted Paul's words of sing and make music with the heart as being, oh yeah, just sing with the heart, but you can use whatever else. What we see is the people that have, have been on that side of the coin have been the state churches from the Middle Ages, who, by the way, the modern Roman Catholic Church has denounced a whole lot of what happened during that time and uh, has, has written all sorts of apologies by, uh, by the, the things that were happening by the church leaders at that point in time. And the most, the, the most recent Western churches, especially here in America. So which makes me think, okay, how do I... How do I interpret that? Because I know that every one of us would say that our world and our country is, is obsessed with entertainment, is obsessed with uh, me getting my way right now type of thing um, as we look out in the world, and obsessed with, with you know, I'm going to do what, what feels good to me, and I'm going to pursue that. And so I either fall on the side of, of that crew saying, and yeah, fine, do whatever. But people that had the biggest opinion to say, no, we need to sing with heart, and what that means is that we sing just us, and we sing to God. Are the early church for almost a thousand years and early Reformation leaders and Restoration leaders in churches? Is that whenever you see people that God uses to make a big impact, to call people back, and then churches tend to get traditionalized and wander away. But whenever that happens, this is one of the discussions that comes up that they say, wait a minute, we see that, God, that God's people worshipped with, as a cappella, as in the church, with, with just us singing for a thousand years, and maybe we need to go back to that. Maybe that's what, that's, th- this isn't, the, the majority isn't, hey, we, we, we worship with whatever we want and we honor God that way. But the majority through history have, have said, no, this means that we come and we worship God with us, our voices. We are God's instruments. And even today in the world, you go to the Russian Orthodox churches or the Greek Orthodox churches in the East, that is still, that's common. They are still a cappella because that's the, the judgment call and the decision that they've made is how to, to interpret that. And so it's, it's us in the West that are the anomaly. 
It's, it's our American churches that are anomaly in history. And, and what I'm telling you is not, I had to come to, to realization, it's not my opinion here, but it, this is just history. This is what's out there. And so let me, let's walk through some of this again. Because um, what does, the question coming back to you, what does it mean to sing from the heart or worship from the heart? Now, I want to say really clearly here as well, because I think our, our tendency can, we can find in, in trouble going in another direction. Because if we say we are faithful because we worship a cappella, we miss the point completely. Because I know that I have worshipped a cappella a lot of times and been unfaithful with the way I approach God. Okay, And we'll get to that here in just a minute. But let's talk about what singing from the heart means. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And this, isn't, this is just a, a general comment that is made here in Hebrews, but I think it speaks loudly to us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly confess his name. Um, that's really what we do when we sing, when we're approaching God with, from the heart is the songs that we sing and the way that we approach God, what we're doing is, is we're, we are offering that as a sacrifice to God. And that's really convicting for me because sometimes I think, boy, my sacrifice is quite pitiful because I'm distracted, I'm not putting my, my all into this, and, and I'm really missing the point. Um, but when we sing, what God intends for us, when we sing with heart, is that we give a sacrifice to God. Just as Romans 12 talks about a living sacrifice, we're to be living sacrifices. And so when we come to God and we come in worship, we offer our voices and the words that we sing as a sacrifice to God. Um, singing also is a confession of faith. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, you see uh, what some, uh, many believe is a song from the early church. Let's go ahead and look there. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 6 through 11. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that a name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As I mentioned, some um, believe that this is an, an early song from the church. And you have a lot of these early, when you look back in church history in the second, third century, there's a lot of songs that are preserved that are really similar to this. And when you look at our songs that we have, uh, they're confessions of faith as well. There's all sorts of, of words and, and phrases that are in our songs that, that ultimately we're saying is, I am going to give this vocal confession again, once again, to God because he is the one that leads me. He is the one that changes me and transforms me. Uh, singing is for edifying the church. Uh, that's, that's really what it's about. Maybe that's a contrast to, hey, we need to make sure that... that, that we can attract people during our worship assembly. Worship assembly is for us as Christians to call people, especially ourselves, close to God. Um, and that's, that's really the point. And so um, I think about this when, when I'm 
uh, singing. And, and what is what I'm doing right now? Is it calling other people higher? Am I edifying? Am I just? I'm just one voice of many here. But I want to give an offering that is good and honorable to God as I sing to Him. Um, also, singing is involves the whole person, not just my mouth, but my head, my heart, all of what I am is is what singing in, involves. Let's walk through a little bit of of this discussion of how we can sing with heart. I've got a few things that I've. I thought about this week. And first of all, we're going to talk about not singing with heart. How can we not do that? One great way to not sing with heart when we come together to be with God is to stay up really late and fall asleep during the assembly. <laughs> I know that when, when I'm not on my game, it, it doesn't go very well. And I, I think about and I focus on being tired more than I do about anything else. And I've... Um, Worked in, and I do better at times than others to be disciplined to 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 go to bed earlier than uh, on Saturday night than than I would uh, on other days at times because uh, I I want to I want to give my best to God. Um, singing with heart, we cannot do that. Is uh, we can complain about the song leader, say oh, or play favorite song leader, you know, that type of thing. And the, the people that have, uh, are, are leading our hearts and our minds in song, I appreciate them so much. And, and I'll give a little disclosure here. Hey, I'm, uh, John Free is one of my heroes. And I know that, that John, where's John? There he is. Okay, and I know that for years that whenever people became Christians, John would find them and say, hey, I think you have potential to lead songs, and I'm going to teach you how to lead songs. And how many of you have had John teach you something at some point in time? Yeah, what a tremendous example has done that. And um, there's, uh, let's carry on that legacy. That's tremendous. Uh, I'll tell you, okay, full disclosure, here it is. Um, it is pretty terrifying for me to lead songs, okay? I've been trained. I, I do that on occasion and that type of thing. But I'll tell you, when, I, when it comes time for devotional night or, or we have our singing night, in fact, this happened a few weeks ago, um, we were singing, and uh, there was enough people to lead songs that even though I had promised myself that whenever we have a devotional, I'm going to lead a song because it's good for me, and I just need to be courageous enough to do that, um, there was enough people to lead songs that Cody and I sat there and we didn't get up, <laughs> and we both talked about it afterwards that we both chickened out. But it's, it, it's a lot, and it takes courage to get up and to, to lead people's uh, hearts and minds and song. For me, when I'm teaching like this, if I do something wrong, I can say some smart comment and I can move on. It's no big deal. But if you pitch a song wrong, you've got to stop everybody and you walk, walk through. That takes courage. And so when, when our people are leading songs, uh, one of the best things we can do is whether things, don't, things aren't going very well or not, our job as Christians is to continue to offer that to God no matter what. We continue to offer our voices to God because that's what he, he calls uh, for us to do. Um, if our mind is uh, focused on any, anything else, all sorts of other things, um, I've ridden a lot of really nice mountain bike trial, trails when I'm singing. I have uh, killed lots of animals in my mind when I'm singing. And that's unfaithful. Um, that's what I'm doing is uh, I've, I've been a Christian long enough that I know the words to songs, and if I'm not disciplined, then I can sing the whole song and not think about a word that I said. 
And that's not singing with heart. That's missing the point of, of what God wants us to be. Um, or deciding, um, I don't like the new songs. Those are, those are, I don't like the way they, they, they move. I don't like anything about them. I don't, I don't like those. Or saying, I don't like these older songs because they're not up tempo enough or, or whatever our reasons may be. But God's message, and there's, let me say it differently. People, godly people, for generations, way back, have had great things for us to say. And there's different generations write different themes through different songs. And it's important for us to not look at songs as young versus old or new versus old, but to, to be better than that and say, we're excited to sing songs that honor God and we give our best during those times. Not singing with heart means uh, maybe you, you see someone that is, that is doing something different than you, Maybe they're lifting hands to God, something like that. And you think poorly about that person and think, huh, I wonder what they're doing. That's kind of weird. That's missing the point. That's really missing the point. Or if I decide that I'm going to lift my hands up or or whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to be a distraction, and that's my purpose in doing that, then I'm missing the point as well. But on the other hand, um, we can sing with heart when we... It's helpful when we come rested uh, to honor God. And if the song leader struggles, then we give it our best anyway. We continue to offer what we have to God. We offer our voices to God. And we're touched by the words, and we're transformed. And we look and, and see this, uh, this song of um, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written by Martin Luther over 500 years ago, still has a whole lot to say for me and still has a whole lot to say for our people. Uh, we embrace the old songs and the new songs as different generations that are writing songs and music to be able to honor God. We see someone lifted hands and know that they're being touched and are excited that someone is being touched in that way. Uh, maybe we're, our hearts are touched. I know as, as for myself, and understand this, a person who grows up in inner-city Memphis in an African-American congregation is going to going to approach God somewhat differently than me who grew up in a, Nor- in a Norwegian community in Montana, okay? If my hands get right here, man, I'm feeling it, all right? That's big for me. You know, that's a huge deal. And so we come from different places and different situations. And let's be gracious with each other in that and allow God to lead us. And hopefully all of us, when we come together, we leave transformed because we've all offered words of praise to God as a community. And what I hope that we can walk away from today is realize there's good reasons. And history is definitely bears out that we just coming, just us, and just to sing to God, is a foundation that we can build on for saying, we're going to be, I'm going to be God's instrument. And it starts here with my singing to God and giving my best. And my prayer is, is that as we continue to grow as a body, as we continue to grow as a people, that we continue to sing with our hearts and are transformed day by day as we come together. And um, so when people ask me, why don't you guys like music or what's that all about? I just give a very simple answer because that's what most people are looking for. We just sing with our voices because that's what the early church did for a thousand years and so that's what we've decided to do. That's the answer I give. And for most people, what they do is say, huh, that's interesting. I didn't know anything about that. That's interesting. And there's people out there, I'll tell you, that uh, I've had these experiences. I know that at Clinton Brazel's funeral is a great example of this. I was uh, uh, headed out the back door at one point in time, and 
The funeral directors, there was two ladies that were standing there, and neither one of them were Lolita, okay? These are people that I'd never met before. And one of the younger girl was there and said, why don't you guys have a piano or why don't you guys have an organ or or something like that? And before I could answer, before I said anything, the other lady said, oh, you're going to love the Churches of Christ, their funerals here in this valley. They're my favorite ones to go to. And I could tell she was standing there at the back and she was listening. And she said, these people are different. They sing without anything else and they sing with heart. And just watch. And, and it's amazing. And you could tell this lady, she looked forward to those funerals because she saw something that was different there. That, I appreciated that. I appreciated that perspective. And I can, I can tell you as well that I've worked with, like when I was in Great Falls working as a hospital chaplain, I worked from, with ministers from all sorts of different groups. And I've had, on more occasions than I can count on one hand, a minister approach me quietly from one of these other groups and say, Chris, I know the history. I know, I know what a cappella means. I know what the history is. And I wish we could go back. And they start telling stories about some of how things have gone in, in their assemblies and how um, they've become so dependent on, on, on what more fashion it is. And they said, I've, we, we tried to do something here a while back, um, and it, we tried to, to sing with, our, with just us, and it, went so, it was just so foreign to us that people didn't know what to do with it. And uh, one of the other, uh, we would take turns hosting a, an assembly at the... Um, um, at the the nursing one of the nursing homes there, and one of the ministers from one of these one of the, the other uh, groups out there, all of us were there. He said, "Chris, you're going to love this, but I think when we go to the nursing home, it's so easy if we just sing a cappella. It's so easy. I mean, Chris, I know you're going to love that. Okay, whatever. But this is this just works. It's so easy to get people together and get people on the same page there. And so there's others out there. What I can tell you is other church leaders are watching." And they see this, and they see the difference. And there is, who knows what type of seeds are planted because of that. But my hope is that that every time we come together, we just focus on what can I give to God and sing with our hearts and everything we've got. And we do that, God changes us and transforms us a little bit every day to look more and more like him. Let's stand and sing together. Pressure's on now that we've just talked about this, right? (laughs) 